Amen. Uh, quick question. Uh, anybody spend any time on hold this week? Uh, had to make a phone call, uh, put yourself on hold. Man, isn't being on hold just the best? I mean, isn't it on those times when you find yourself on hold, isn't it the most relaxing moments of your entire week? You just kind of want to kick off your shoes and relax. The music that they play, you want to say, you know what, your choice in music is so much better than my choice of music. The quality of your sound system coming through my phone is so much better than any sound system that I have. Plus, it's just fun. It's like a game trying to guess when are they going to pick up or where is it going to be now. Maybe it'll be now. I always think that when the song comes to an end, that that means that they're going to pick up. Like they've been waiting for the end of the song. It's always disappointing. That never really happens. I think we spend more time on hold these days during the pandemic. Different companies and organizations and agencies have cut down the number of people working. And so you're likely to call somebody and they are likely to say, we are not here right now. If you'll please leave a message. As soon as the pandemic is over, we'll call you back. Uh, and you just kind of wonder, can anybody hear me? Sometimes it seems like the only thing that Google can't help with is a customer service phone number where you can actually speak to a person about whatever issue it is that you're dealing with. And again, we find ourselves pulling our hair out and saying, can anybody hear me? Here is the good news this morning. Here is the great news. I don't want to undersell it. This is just the fabulous news. God really wants to hear from me. God really wants to hear from me. That is the amazing news that the God of this universe, the God who created all of these things, the God who we read about in the Word of God, the God that we came and we worshiped this morning, the God who has resurrected Jesus, He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. It is absolutely amazing that that is true this morning. Now, what I love about this is that this is kind of the flip side of the story that we looked at that Jesus told last week. Remember the story that we looked at last week was Jesus telling the story about the farmer who was sowing the seed. And we said the seed was the word of God. And we talked about the different impact that that seed has on our lives. And so it was really important to understand that we can hear from God. Wonderful truth. But this is that flip side that not only... Can we hear from God, but that God hears from us? Well, I want that to run deep inside of our lives this morning. I want that to impact the way that you approach this entire week. I want that to impact the way that you approach all of life with the encouragement of knowing that while we live in a time and a place that it's really difficult to be heard sometimes, God doesn't just listen to you. He wants to listen to you, and he really wants to hear from you. How do I know that? Well, Luke chapter 11 unpacks that for us. Luke chapter 11 kind of takes that apart and just kind of tells us this is the intensity of how Jesus teaches us of how much God wants to hear from us. So let's take a look at that uh, together. Are you ready? Great. I can go back to the beginning and start over. Anybody been on hold this way? All right. Uh, here we go. Uh, number one, every Christian has the example of prayer. 
Every Christian has the example of prayer. It tells us here in verse 1 that Jesus is returning from a time of prayer. The disciples are watching Jesus pray. The disciples are used to Jesus praying. The disciples have observed Jesus on some occasions spend the entire night in prayer. And they're like, man, I want to learn how to pray like that. You see, when it comes to prayer, there's a lot of a sense that we have that I know that I should. I understand some things about prayer, but I also understand that I'm probably not getting it right. And we have a great sense inside of ourselves that whatever prayer is supposed to be, I probably haven't arrived. Does anybody here feel like they've absolutely mastered prayer? Like of all the things, like, you know what, I got prayer done, I'm going to start working on other things. Uh, prayer I have mastered. I know everything about it. If that's the case, let me know, because we're going to create a spot for you next Sunday morning, because I need to take notes uh, on what you have learned about mastering prayer. But I want you to notice here, the disciples are hungry to hear about prayer. They watch Jesus as a person of prayer. They, they, they know that John the Baptist taught his disciples about prayer, and what they come to Jesus and say is, we need to know more about prayer. Will you teach us about prayer? And the answer to that is yes. In fact, one of the things that I would say to you this morning is that the Word of God tells us about this hunger to know about prayer. And it is possible that you feel insecure about your own prayer life. Keep learning. Keep chasing it. Keep trying to figure it out. Keep going in terms of your prayer life. In fact, what we have here is we have really an example of a real discipleship moment from the disciples. Remember, we've been talking about uh, the growing disciple joyfully embraces the patterns, priority, and purpose of Jesus. Here it is, the disciples are watching Jesus, his patterns, priorities, and purpose. They see how he prays, and they come to him and say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like that so we can copy your patterns, priorities, and purpose in our own life? And what he does is he immediately says, when you pray, this is how to pray. Now, you've heard many passages and messages about this passage of Scripture, about how to pray this way. In fact, this is a parallel passage to what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer that's found in Matthew chapter 6 as well. Uh, but here, I just want to point out very quickly that when Jesus teaches about prayer, he, he really points out the vertical, the practical, and the spiritual. I just want you to just see that as he talks about when it comes to prayer, this is what we pray for. Uh, the vertical is very simple. He, he starts at the beginning and says, Hallowed be your name. One of the songs that we sang this morning could have been called Hallowed. It said, there is no name like yours. No one like that. It says that God is separate from everything, and it's so foundational to our prayer life is to understand the, the awesomeness, the holiness, the power, the otherness of the one that we pray to. And so when we begin with prayer, we have to understand that we are walking in to holy ground. We are walking into a place where, where as Moses was told, take off your sandals because this is sacred space. Don't tread here with just junk. This is a holy place. But I also like what he talks about in terms of this vertical element. He talks about your kingdom come. In other words, the prayer here is so that the soon, very soon, maybe today, 
not just that Jesus would return, but that the influence, the authority, the kingdom, the order, the pattern of Jesus would take up more and more of this world every moment. In fact, sometimes you may have been in a job where you get a new boss, a new supervisor, and one of the concerns is when this new boss or this new supervisor arrives, how much stuff is going to change at work? How many things are going to be reordered and rearranged and redone? What this is saying is that, Jesus, we are praying that you would come and you would reorder this world in your fingerprints. You think we could use that today? As Kirk prayed for us as we began the service, saying we are exhausted and worn by all the things that we're seeing. We really could use the kingdom of Jesus the order, the priorities, the pattern, the purpose of Jesus permeating more and more of this world. And so we pray for that vertically. We also see in this model prayer that we pray for the things that are practical. This is represented by give us this day our daily bread, our sustenance, the things that we need to get by. I think that this is just kind of a window, an avenue that says give us our daily bread Help me to meet the mortgage this month. Help me to get medical uh, coverage for my kids. Help me to make sure that the car is running so that I can get everybody to school and work tomorrow. Just the practical pieces. But notice he says, give us this day our daily bread. It is because it is daily. It is in this moment. It's a little bit of an echo to when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God gave them daily bread. They called it manna. It was on the surface of the wilderness every single morning, and they were supposed to pick up one day's supply of the manna. Now, if you're like me, you're looking for a shortcut. Why do I have to get up at daybreak every single day to get the manna off the ground? How about I get up one time, and I get the whole week's worth, and then I can sleep in the rest of the week? How does that sound, God? God says, no. If you take more than one day's, it will turn, the Hebrew word is stank. It will go rotten. It'll be absolutely, it'll be terrible. You won't want to touch it. Because I want you to know to depend on me for your daily life. Not just, God, would you take care of me for the rest of my life so that I never have to worry again. God, I need you in this moment to cover this thing. Now, I want you to know that when we talk about our daily bread, it is a reminder also that God is always on time. He's not often early. You can't say, God, I'm really worried about this thing 10 years from now. God says, here it is. I'll give it to you all right now. No, most of the time, it's when we step into that moment that then we'll see that God does it. But God is on time. He's rarely early, and he's never late. It is a daily experience. That's the practical way in which we pray. Now, the reality is that most of us in our prayer life, we've got the practical done, right? We, we know where my dependence on my physical daily, monthly needs are. So we know how to pray in that place. But he says we pray for the vertical, we pray for the practical. But he also says we pray for the spiritual. Now, what he talks about here, when he talks about praying for the spiritual, he's beginning to talk about some things that, you know what? We could go weeks or months without worrying about. God, would you forgive me of sin? 
like I'm making sure that I forgive the people who do me wrong around me? Now listen, there's a good chance that you've prayed over a job, a financial situation, a health situation, far more than you have prayed for God to make things right in your life and in relationships with the people around you. He also says, lead us not in temptation. Saying, God, I need you to guide my life so that I'll be in the right places at the right time. Not so that I'll be successful, but that so my soul and my spirit can be where it's supposed to be. So that I can be a growing person spiritually. Again, a lot of times we can remember, okay, I'm supposed to get this vertical stuff. God, you're good. God, you're holy. I know how to get the practical. But Jesus says, don't forget to pray for the deep spiritual things that oftentimes don't even show up on our agenda. And Jesus says, pray as much for the invisible things as you pray for the visible things. These are the what elements to prayer. But I think it's really interesting that in this passage, Jesus goes straight from here is the model prayer to he jumps into a story because what he wants us to know, what isn't enough in terms of understanding prayer. Hey, in fact, he says, listen, if you just know the list of things to pray, then you are just beginning because there is far more to prayer than having the right list of things on your request. In fact, the second thing that we see here in this passage is that every Christian has the invitation, not just the example to pray, but the invitation to pray. And when I say pray, I mean to really pray. He calls on us to really, really pray. I think sometimes our prayer lives, we could have almost a, a Crocodile Dundee moment. You remember Crocodile Dundee? You remember the most, there it is, uh, the most famous line there where Crocodile Dundee, somebody tries to mug him uh, on the streets of New York and he pulls a little switchblade out on him and an Australian uh, Crocodile Dundee pulls out this giant knife and says, you call that a knife? I think sometimes, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I also want to be true to what the text points out this morning. I think sometimes when God hears us go through our list, he says, you call that a prayer? That just little list of things that you've worked your way through, you call that a prayer? Because it says, Praying for the right things is not enough. There's something that has to happen inside of our heart in terms of real prayer. In fact, he tells the story. He tells the story of the guy who in the middle of the night goes and pounds on his neighbor's door. Now understand that probably, you know, when the sun goes down, you finish up your chores, you've got a limited amount of oil inside of your lamp, you gotta get the kids in bed, everybody's sleeping in the same bed, you shut the door, you lock the door, bolt the door, you uh, got an early morning the next morning, so here is this family that has finally got everything down, all of the kids are asleep, they've got four kids in the bed with them, trying to get all four of them asleep at the same time, is like playing the, uh, what's the, the whack-a-mole game, trying to get everybody down at the same time, everybody is asleep. And then pound, 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 pound. That's the next door. And what on earth are you doing? What are you, but my family's asleep. What are you, you, do you know what time it is? What are, you, what are you doing? And the guy says, man, I'm in a spot. Oh, you're in a spot. 
Hold on. If it's the middle of the night, you're in a spot. Maybe I'm supposed to, to really pay attention here. Is your house on fire? Are we being invaded? Is there some terrible thing that's happened? No, I need three loaves of bread. I just want to borrow three loaves of bread. I don't know how you borrow three loaves of bread. Uh, I mean, just say, I, I need three loaves of bread. But, but he's asking for these three loaves of bread. Now, there's a little bit of discussion in the commentaries as to, is three loaves of bread a little or a lot? Are, are we talking about Wonder Bread? Are we talking about Bunny Bread? Are we, are we talking about, you know, uh, Olive Garden Rolls? I mean, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, I'm trying to figure that out as well. And, and, and what Mike thinking is, remember there's the little boy, and I don't know how tall he was, but I'm assuming he was this tall, the little boy that follows Jesus one day, and his mama packed him a sack lunch, and everybody's hungry, and he's the only person that brought food, and Jesus takes his lunch and feeds everybody. You remember that? He had five loaves and two fish. The neighbor is just trying to borrow three. He just says, I just need a little bit of bread. Now, I got to tell you, do you know how much work it took me to get everybody in this bed quiet? The lamp is already out. The door is already locked. I've got early appointments in the morning. I don't have time. It is not my problem that you ran out of bread. Just figure it out in the morning. In fact, if I'm reading this story, I know who the bad guy is. It's the guy pounding at the door. I remember years ago when we lived in Panama City, somebody drove up in the rain. It must have been like at 4.30 in the morning. And they started pounding on our door. I thought the world had come to an end. I think he had the wrong address. He was supposed to pick somebody up for work or something. But man, he was pounding. It scared the daylights uh, out of me. I hid under the bed and said, Susan, let me know when it's over. Um, it's, yeah, I know who the bad guy in this story is. It's the guy pounding on the door. But you know what Jesus tells us? You know who we're supposed to be like in this story? The guy pounding on the door. Several reasons. One, he knew that he was empty-handed. In fact, the passage of Scripture tells us, listen, I've had a friend come in from out of town. I have nothing to give him. There was a cultural expectation in a time where there were no fast food restaurants in town. There were very few places to stay that, listen, you needed when somebody came at the end of their day, they needed a place to stay, that you would provide them a place and that you would provide them some food. And he says, man, I'm so embarrassed. I don't have any food to give them. He is desperate. He, he knows that, that he's got to get this food from someplace. And he has a pretty good idea that the neighbor is the person who has some bread. Now, how does he know that the neighbor has some bread? The same way you know when one of your neighbors is grilling some burgers. <laughs> you smell it over the fence. And the guy could say, listen, I don't have any bread. Listen, your house smells like Subway. Open the door and get me some bread. Jesus wants us to pray like a person who has nothing is desperate and knows the only place in town to find what we need. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'll confess to you. I don't pray like that enough. I don't. 
I'm good at praying the first part. I know how to pray the vertical. I know how to pray the practical. I know how to pray the spiritual. But man, the number of times that I pound on the door of heaven with no backup plan whatsoever is just not enough. Now, the reason why we can pound on the door of heaven, because one of the things that God wants us to know is <laughs> the guy gets out of bed, not because of his friendship, but because he wants the guy to shut up and go away. And he says, you need to pray like that because God is better than your lazy neighbor. God is better than your lazy neighbor. If your lazy neighbor is going to get out of bed and get you your three loaves, imagine what God will do. Now listen, there's a lot of mystery in prayer. There's a lot of things that I can't tell you, explain to you about prayer. But here's what I know. God tells us that when we pray, things happen. God tells us that when we pray, we will not come away empty-handed. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you will find, you will hear, the door will be open to you. You will not come away empty-handed when you pray. Now, this does not necessarily mean that prayer is the remote control that tells God what to do. You know, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. I need you to take care of this. That's not what happens. But just as, as important as it is for me to say, God does not use prayer as a remote control that we have over him. I also can't walk away from what this passage of Scripture tells us is that we will never walk away empty-handed when we pray. Something happens. What? I don't know. How we move and stir and change the sovereignty of God or move the sovereignty of God, I don't know. I just know what Jesus tells me in this passage. We pray like there is no backup plan and something happens. Here's the good news. You are invited to pray and I mean really pray. One more thing for us to see in this passage, and that is that every Christian has protection in prayer. Protection in prayer. Now, now what does this mean? There, there's a little bit of a note here that's easy to overlook, and that is that when Jesus teaches them to pray, he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Same thing that we see in Matthew chapter 6, our Father who art in heaven. Now, we run past that because we are so familiar with that language in prayer that we run past the fact that the idea of calling God Father is almost a brand new idea when Jesus introduces it. There's a few hints in the Old Testament, but you've got to really go looking for them. When Jesus says, hey guys, when you pray, refer to God as your Father. Relationship. Listen to what the difference that that father image of prayer makes in our lives. That I call it a protection that the father gives to us. Our father is driven by love. He sees you through the lens of love, care, and affection. He sees you through perfect fatherly love. Sometimes, again, going back to the workplace, you got to go see the boss, and you want to know 
what kind of mood the boss is in, right? You ever have a boss like, like that, Brian? You ever have a boss like that? Where you want to know, well, what, what, is he in a good mood? Is she in a bad mood? What, what's, what's the emotional status when I walk in there? How is he going or she going to see me? Here's what you know. When you walk into the presence of God the Father, he is going to see you through the loving eyes of a father. How awesome is that? Walk in knowing that your father who loves you. We're also protected because our father remains in authority. Our father remains in authority. Remember last week I talked about, I remember a time back before text messages. Anybody remember that? That was last week. I remember a time back before text messages. Here's one that's even older. I remember a time when you were a kid that they would take you up into the cockpit of an airplane. Hey, you're a kid flying. Why don't you come up and meet the captain, meet the co-pilot. Here's your little set of wings. And you'd walk in there. They'd open the door. Sometimes the door would already be open. And you're standing there at 30,000 feet. All the knobs, all of the dials, all of the levers, all of the things are right there. How awesome is that they don't do that anymore. Partly because I'm 50. And partly because, you know, FAA things have changed and stuff like that. But they don't let you do that. But, but, but here's what never happened when I was eight. The captain never said, oh, we're so glad you're flying with us. It's so good to see you. Boy, you look like a sharp guy. Why don't you sit right here? Why don't you take the stick for a little while? Why don't you take controls for a little while? I'll just go back and sit in your seat and eat some peanuts and, and, and Coke. They never did that. The pilot never relinquished authority. I was invited into the presence of the captain. I was invited into the presence of the cockpit. But you don't give an eight-year-old the, the stick. You don't give an eight-year-old control over the plane. You've got the whole rest of the plane to think about. I want you to know that when we pray, we are invited in to the very throne room of heaven. When we pray, things will happen. But I will also tell you that when we pray, the Father will always remain in authority. It's his ship. It's his plane. And so we may come, but we have to understand that he remains in authority even in that place. We're also protected, and I love this, because the Father knows how to give good gifts. The Father knows how to give good gifts. Did you, did you see that in the passage? It says, which of you, when your child asks, which one of you, when your child asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? Man, that's mean. Man, that, that, that's just mean. Which one of you, when, when your child asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? I mean, that's, that's double mean. Uh, if you who are evil, broken, sinful, nothing like God, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, man, what do you think your perfect, loving, heavenly Father is going to do for you? Now what this means is, He's not going to give you a scorpion. He's not going to give you a serpent. He's not going to give you any of those things. He's going to give you the things that are best for your life. Now, there are occasions when people have asked their dad for a serpent. Dad, would you buy me a boa constrictor? 
Hey, listen, I've seen people walking through town with a boa constrictor wrapped around their neck. Somebody bought them a boa constrictor. Maybe you did for your kids. We'll talk about that after church, but from a distance. That's crazy. If you love your kids, do not buy them, buy them deadly animals for pets because you love them. In the same way, God is never going to swap out fish for the snake. And sometimes even when we ask for the snake, he's going to say, that is going to suffocate you. That is going to do you harm. You ask for a snake, let me hook you up with a fish. Because he loves us. That's who he is. So we walk in with this incredible protection because the person that we pray to is our heavenly Father. Let's spend a few moments on the now what this morning. It's interesting as I kind of build out the, the sermon outline, I, I, I kind of have a sense of how, what I want to say, but I, I just got to choose the right words. You know what I mean? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. This morning we talk about every Christian. Now, I could have said every disciple. I could have said every believer. I could have said every follower. But really, those are all the same words saying the same thing. Christian, believer, follower, disciple, all of those things are basically saying the same thing. This is a person who has become a fully devoted follower of Christ, who has had their life transformed by the saving work of Jesus. So this morning, what I want to just do is that when we think about every Christian, the question that I want to ask is, is that you? Because there is a distinction between every person and every Christian. Now, Christian, disciple, follower, believer, all of those words can be interspersed. But there is a big circle that's called every person. And there is a smaller circle that's called every believer, every Christian. And the question that I want us to think about for a moment is are you in that smaller circle that says every Christian, every believer, every follower, every disciple? This is the person who has swapped out their life for Jesus. You have realized that your life is flawed, broken, and stained by sin and that Jesus' life is holy and perfect and eternal. And you have understood that Jesus says, I'll swap with you. I'll take away the brokenness of your life, and I will put my name on you. I will put my identity on you. Is there a time in which you have said, I'll take that swap? It's possible because the cross is where Jesus died to take away those sins. It's possible because our Heavenly Father loves us so much. It's possible because God has an agenda to reset our lives to before sin broke them. The now what this morning is. I'm not asking you if you're a person who goes to church. I'm not asking you if you're a person who tries real hard. I'm not asking you any of those things. I'm asking you, are you in the second circle 
the smaller circle that has had your life changed and transformed by the Jesus that we read about in this book. How does that happen? Here's the good news. God really, really wants to hear from you. Here's the good news. That if you call on his name and say, Jesus, I want to swap the brokenness, sinfulness of my life for your perfection and your wholeness, for your salvation and your forgiveness, would you do that in my life right now? Here's the good news. Right where you are, right where you're seated, right in this moment. He will do that. In just a few moments, we're going to pray. And in that time, if that's a conversation that you need to have with the God who hears us, would you just do that even while other people are singing, other people are doing other things? Would you respond in that moment? I'm going to be up front here for a little while, but if I can talk to you about any of these things at the end of the service... I'm going to be at my back table in the back. There's nothing more important for me to talk about than that. There's nothing more important for you to talk about than swapping out what Jesus has done for what you have done.